Hello and welcome to the Deeper Eye podcast. I am Lara Ferris, your host. For many years, I have been passionate about self-improvement. Through this, I have met the best specialists in their field who have given me tools and the courage to pursue a new path. The purpose of this podcast is to share with you everything I have learned through the conversations I have had with these amazing people. I hope these conversations will impact your life as they did to mine. Today, Andrew Wallace is meeting me to speak about the third law of the seven spiritual law of success. Today is a very interesting law. They all are, but today in particular, because it's the law of karma. So in other words, it's the law of cause and effect. Whatever we give out, we give back. Pretty interesting and important law to understand because everything that we want to see happening in our life and everything that's coming to us is apparently all in our hands because we are planting every single seed of what we want to see growing in our life. Please join me with Andrew for this third episode. Good morning, Andrew, and so happy as always to be with you. Thank you for being available today for episode three of the seven spiritual laws of success. Today, another great topic, the law of karma, and in other words, it's the cause and effect of whatever we put out in the world will come back to us. And while I was reading this chapter, I got really caught by how we sometimes act from a conscious place and other times we act from unconscious places. So I was really looking forward to hear your views and your explanation and how can we discern these two things and what are the consequences of acting from either places. Okay, wonderful. It's lovely to be with you again, Lara. Absolutely gorgeous. So I think in some ways, I imagine that of the seven laws, this is the one that most people will resonate with and most people have touched it in one form or another. And I'm going to say, because I always do, that these laws that we're talking about are how the universe works. We have the laws that underpin the scientific or physical material universe, like the law of gravity. And we don't walk around saying, I wonder if the law of gravity is true. Or we, or we don't question the law of gravity. We don't think, well, I don't think gravity is working very well today. Yeah. And the law of karma has exactly the same status as the law of gravity. It's how the universe works. It cannot work any other way. And I think most of us have at various times in our lives heard the expression, what you sow is what you reap. It's sort of embedded in mainstream language now. So we're kind of used to the idea that what you sow is what you reap. What you give out is what comes back. If if you're kind, kindness comes back. If you're mean-spirited, mean-spiritedness comes back. And this is precisely how the universe works. And I remember 
in the early part of my marriage when we had a very volatile relationship. We had a lot of rows and arguments, a lot of screaming at each other. I remember one particular day when my wife said something very nasty to me deliberately, and it was, you know, designed for maximum damage. And I remember standing there and thinking, she has already created her own karma for that. If I say something nasty back, which I normally did and do, I'm then just creating another load of shit for myself. And when we really understand that, it helps us to get through what I call injustice scripts, because all of us, we have a list of injustice scripts. We think that wasn't fair. What happened? You know, that person rejected me. That person let me down. That person betrayed me. And sometimes those injustice scripts last for a very long time. So I, I've known people 20 years later that are still talking about uh, a painful and difficult experience, which has latched on to an injustice script. And when we understand the law of karma, there is no injustice. There is no injustice. And that's a, a big step for most of us. But it's incredibly liberating to understand that there is no injustice. And the second part of that is that we've all had delicious revenge fantasies over the years. And this, this I personally think there's something very delicious about a good revenge fa fantasy where someone's you've been hurt by someone and you want to get your own back. And, and again, once we understand the law of karma, there is absolutely no benefit in revenge. There is absolutely no benefit in, in scoring points or getting your own back because you're just creating another wave of negative karma for yourself. Does that make sense? It makes lots of sense. There are two points just that I'd like you to come back to. When you, you, you say, you know, of course, the law of gravity, nobody can deny that. You just see it. You can, you can prove it uh, every day. The law of karma is just more difficult to see or to, to prove to someone that is not willing to hear that such a thing really exists, that when you give kindness, you, you get kindness back. Because people, and I'm sure you and I as well, Andrew, can give plenty of example where we've been really kind, but yet we didn't have kindness in return. And maybe you and I know that there is a much bigger meaning or reason for it that is a bit harder to see. So what would you say to someone that has these experiences? Well, I think it's a very good question. And I think essentially there's two issues or two categories that we fall into when we see the world like that. The first is that we get into thinking that karma doesn't really work because we haven't tried it properly. So there's a lot of people in the world that, no, that doesn't work. They dismiss it very readily. I would say, from my own personal experience, that, that whenever I've entered into this reality, the evidence is there overwhelmingly. And I suppose I could say that of hundreds of other people I've known, that when we are willing to trust karma and when we're willing mm -hmm. to experience it, 
we see it very directly. And a lot of the time, what we do and what I've done at different times in my life is you want something nice to happen in a particular area. It doesn't happen. So we go into a tantrum and we say, this doesn't work. It's rubbish. That's the first thing. The second thing is we fall into the trap of thinking that if I treat you kindly, you will treat me kindly. It doesn't work like that. I fall into the trap of thinking if I'm generous with Fred and James, then they will somehow be generous back to me. It doesn't work like that. So the way karma works is energetically, it's like an energetic dynamic. If I'm generous to you and Fred and Anna, that amount of generosity will come back to me, Mm. but in a completely different way. So it's being open to receive that instead of waiting. If if I'm generous for you and I'm waiting for you to be generous back to me, then I'm not really being generous. It's conditionality. It's not giving like we talked last time. But if I'm generous to people because I want the universe to be generous back to me, I don't know where it's going to come from. And as we all know, it sometimes comes from the most surprising avenues. So I think those are the two main things. In my experience, the people that complain most about it are those that haven't really opened their heart to it or entered into it and practiced it properly. The only other thing I would say, there was a great book in the 70s that I I never hear much about now, which was um, written by a beautiful Jewish rabbi called Mm -hmm. Harold Kushner. And he wrote a book when Mm -hmm. bad Mm -hmm. things happen to good people. And it's it's a great Mm -hmm. little book. I don't know if it's still available, but it kind of addresses the point you're raising, Lara, that it seems or appears, and the emphasis is on the appears, it appears to us that nasty, horrible people are living a really good life and getting away with it. Or it, it, it appears that really kind people and loving people suddenly, maybe one of their children yeah. dies or something really terrible happens. And it does get us to question very fundamentally this principle. So I, I accept that and I understand that, but it's being willing to explore it from the, you know, science is all about exploring and testing hypotheses against experience. I'm just realizing now that what's happening is people are focusing in a too narrow way on what I gave here, I have to receive here. But actually, universe is much more giving and smarter. Like you give here, you can receive from a different place and you're not even seeing it because you're focusing on the wrong, on the wrong place. Yeah. And sometimes it's quite useful for people in various groups. I've uh, over the years, I've come across this, that some people, you know, talk about financial wealth or financial abundance, and then you have financial bankruptcy and, and people who are wealthy financially have a lot of money in the bank. And when we understand the law of karma is, is those of us that choose to, and I want to come on to choice, But those of us that choose to, we have a lot of spiritual karma in the bank. We have, you know, by acting generously, it might not come back, 
the same day, the same week, the same month, or even the same year. But basically, we're we're storing up money. So you can be financially wealthy or financially bankrupt, and you can be spiritually abundant or spiritually wealthy or spiritually bankrupt. I certainly remember a time in my life when I was Mm -hmm. absolutely Mm -hmm. spiritually bankrupt. And in, in one sense, it's a great place to be because there's a level of surrender that you don't experience before. And then you can begin to build up resources in the bank in terms of karma, in terms of generosity, in terms of kindness, in terms of love, in terms of giving, in terms of kindness, etc. Did you mean to say that there was a point in your life where you were financially bankrupt or spiritually bankrupt? No, spiritually bankrupt. Spiritually bankrupt. Okay. In my late 20s, you know, I was drinking very heavily. I was taking drugs. Mm, I I was probably pretty mean to people. I was very ego-driven. I certainly... You know, the other principle that most people are familiar with is treat others as you'd like to be treated yourself. And this is a very simple principle. And so if you feel that you're not loved or if you feel like you're not respected, every day set a spiritual practice. Today, I'm going to respect other people. Whoever they are, I'm going to respect other people. Today, I'm going to. So what we give to others automatically comes back to us. So, you know, over the years, I think you've had a, a wound about lack, yeah, intellectual prowess or, or lack, yeah. And so the way to deal with that is just praise, say, oh, my God, that was so clever, or oh, my God, I really appreciate that insight. Or the more you give to others in terms of their intellectual status, the more it'll come back to you. Mm-hmm. I understand. I understand better. So basically seeking revenge on a human level, it's it's not really understanding the law of karma. Because when you do, you don't have this uh, desire to seek revenge anymore. No, it, let's just stay with that analogy because it's quite a good one. Yeah. If, someone, if someone treats you badly, and, and we're not saying they haven't treated you badly, somebody it treats you very, very badly and you feel hurt, and you feel self-righteous and you feel that you want to teach them a lesson. And we, mm-hmm. we've all been there all the time and I'll probably be there again. So basically the misunderstanding there is them treating you badly is rather like taking £5,000 and throwing it in the bin, throwing it yeah. away. If you then get rectitude or you try to treat, it's like you taking £5,000 from your bank account and throwing that away. What does that achieve? You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. And, and we we delude ourselves into thinking we've somehow got even. You haven't got even at all. Of course. And now I, yeah, totally get it. When you look at it from that perspective, of course, but sadly we tend to be sucked in our uh, selves. And I know you don't like the word ego, but the ego takes over very often and exactly and it's it's very human and we've all been there and there's no need to judge ourselves for that but what it takes is discipline so very often when when you know we've all got deep wounds within us and some of those wounds are more activated than others so when we get hurt it's sometimes very visceral yeah. And it's very painful and it's agony. And in that place, we want to hit back. 
And yeah. sometimes it takes many hours or many days of discipline of saying, I feel like I want to punch them in the face or I feel I want to undermine them in the way they've undermined me, but I'm just going to sit with the feeling and work through it rather than waste my money or create bad karma for myself. It's a discipline. and once, But once we understand this... And once we've tasted it a little bit, as I have, and as I know you have, Mm -hmm. it just gets easier and easier. Yeah. It's a practice. Again, we come back always in my conversations with you. I notice the sense of awareness and practice. If you have these two, like, you know, when you are in the moment, in the experience, in the feeling, if you raise your awareness on what's going on and observe it instead of identifying with it, That's the first step. And then it's practice. Exactly right. I've just been reminded, actually, I forgot about this, but we had a situation last week Hmm. where somebody did something that affected our 19-year-old daughter and it was particularly unpleasant. And I drafted an email to send back to them. And fortunately, I then said to my wife, Anna, I said, let's just sit with it and feel into our hearts and feel whether really sending this email is the right thing. And so there's that part of me that thinks, yeah, I really want to send it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, It's yeah. going to give me a good feeling to send it. It's going to empower me. But the moment we felt in, into it in the space of, I don't know, 30 seconds, we both said no, and we didn't send it. And, you know, it's little things like that. If we make that choice, three times out of seven or two times out of seven, and we gradually, it has its own momentum. And then we start creating much better karma for ourselves. Of course. And three times out of seven is like reaching being three times happier in your life, which is enormous. Exactly. And that's great. Sorry, I I was going to say it brings me to the conscious and unconscious decisions. So that's brilliant. Like how how do you take a decision to act in a certain way is going yeah. to determine. So here's the thing that I think is a conundrum for most people who are trying to evolve or to awaken in any way is when you fully understand the law of karma, you begin to understand that life is a series of choices. You know, I think Deepak Chopra says that essentially we are the aggregate of the infinite number of choices that we've made during this lifetime and other lifetimes. So on the one hand, we have this uh, notion of choice. And then on the other hand, we have this reality that all of us have been conditioned Um, you know, in our families of origin, in our schools, in our religions, by our friends. And a lot of that behavior is what's become known as Pavlovian conditioning. It's a little Pavlov set, set up the experiment. So what happens is you reject me and I automatically hit out. I automatically violate you. And whatever my thing is, you know, I feel disappointed. I automatically react. And and that's really where this question of conscious and unconscious sits. So what we need to introduce here is, again, an expression that I love, is um, Eleanor Roosevelt said, no one can diminish me without my permission. 
No one can bully me without my permission. No one can upset me without my permission. And this is a real grown-up. For me, this is like the grown-up school of spirituality. This is beyond A-levels. This is like degree, master's degree. Because embedded in our language, if anyone who's listening to this, if you just allocate a day to listening to how other people speak, You will hear time and time again, she made me so angry. She upset me. You know, I hear it every single time. And, And the truth is that you cannot upset me. You cannot reject me. You cannot disappoint me. You cannot humiliate me without my permission. So this is where the unconscious choice comes in. Is when I choose unconsciously to go into an old wound... Even though it's not conscious, it's still a, co- a choice. Yeah. And the law of karma is, just as you said, Lara, very beautifully, it's bringing awareness and mm. discipline to that arena because it's very convenient and very easy for us to say, oh, I'm fragile. Whenever that happens, I get hurt and upset and people should know that by now. But that is really coming from a a victim energy and it's wanting everyone else in the world to adjust to to my wound, which is not actually loving or helpful. Yeah. Andrew, one of the main reasons of my determination of getting your teaching and all what you share with me out there to whoever is needing to hear is because I personally felt that I needed to hear that I had this option. It didn't come naturally to me to understand all of this, even if it is in us, even if we are born with these possibilities and abilities, for example, to understand this beautiful sentence you said from Roosevelt that nobody can do anything to me without my consent. You have to hear it somewhere. You have to read it, hear it. And then you realize, oh my God, yes, of course I had the choice. I had the choice all all along, but I didn't take that decision to, to stand up for myself. You know, I have... I have a beautiful relation now with my brother, but I have been extremely bullied by him as a child. And I totally know, I mean, now after my therapy and all this uh, process that I've been through when I decided that I wanted to go through um, awakening, as we call it, I had a long conversation with him and he was also acting from a completely unconscious place. Like him being a bully was completely not a decision he had taken to just be awful to me. He had his own issues and that's how he could act um, towards me. And of course, back then at the age of, uh, you know, 10, 8, 10, 12, I had the same personality. I could have shown my stronger self and just put a stop to all what he was doing, but I didn't because I didn't have this opportunity to have this seed planted in me. So my question, I guess, to you here with this law of karma, when you're conscious and unconscious, do you always need something happening to you to make you conscious? Or or do you think it can happen naturally to some people? 
Um, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting question. I've never really thought about that. Because then, then we come back to karma, I know, because it sounds a bit unfair. Like for me, it was my sessions, my, my self-work that has made me aware of this. So do we all need to somehow take this decision or sometime not? Just My inclination yeah. is that on a practical level, I think we all need something. Uh, I think that th- there is... Um, there is something happens and normally or very often it's a crisis it doesn't have to be a big crisis it can be you know a small crisis but something happens to wake us up yeah uh, it's a li- it's a little bit like if if we I, I i like the expression awakening and waking up because we live in a world where there is a sort of collective hypnosis you know people Three million people walk over London Bridge, they go into little cubby holes, they press buttons and they run the financial systems yeah. of the world. And, you know, and we all act unconsciously in that sense in different ways. It's a little bit like being asleep and an alarm clock goes off or a cock crows yeah. or, or a dog barks and it wakes us up. And it's the same, I think, with awakening during waking hours, that something happens and it acts as a trigger to wake us up. And, of course, normally we we have multiple uh, catalysts that happen and, and each time it wakes us up a little bit more. Mm-hmm. That's that's great to know. And um, I would like to hear you talk about uh, the meaning of dharma. We can't, you know, when we talk about karma, there is the word dharma that comes immediately with it. Can you explain to us the difference and the meaning? Of course. Well, you're you're jumping ahead to week seven, Lara, which is very naughty of you. <laughs> Just and a few you're, words. You're, Just you're, few you're words. Na- you're now getting me to collude with you. <laughs> which I'm going to do. I'm delighted. Because I I just feel many people like me would want to know just the difference, the meaning. So, well, karma is very simply what I give out comes back to me. And Mm -hmm. and I think that happens on uh, many, many, many levels. Uh, You know, it happens on an energetic level, whether you speak or don't speak, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Dharma is really our purpose in life. It's it's why we're here. And so uh, I think it's important for every human being to reflect upon and to arrive at a place of clarity about what their dharma is. And their dharma can change, uh, you know, as we, from our 20s to our 30s to our 60s or whatever. But essentially, the question is, I I don't know about you, but when Mm. I went to school, I suppose I was at school for at least 10 years. And not once in 10 years did I ever go to a class or ever have a conversation with a teacher that was about what's my purpose in life. Mm. And, And so I think, Uh, maybe it varies in other cultures, but we've neglected this area. And of course, once we have clarity about our purpose, and there's there's different levels to that, then it helps in our decision-making. If part of my purpose, I think this is true for everybody in some ways, I think that we incarnate in a particular lifetime to heal 
the ancestral inheritance. So you and me and Anna and Fred, we all have a very different ancestral inheritance. Mm -hmm. And essentially, a lot of what we do as we're waking up is to heal that inheritance. And I had the most wonderful conversation with a friend of mine yesterday Mm -hmm. who uh, has not had an easy life. He's been in and out of prison and he's not educated in any conventional way Mm -hmm. but he's done a lot of work on himself for 20 years I've known him and because of his upbringing he had a lot of financial fear he he grew up on a council estate and he went through a lot of lack around money etc etc and he has a son now who's 22 and they were they were talking one day and his son said to him Dad, why are you giving me all this financial fear? I don't have financial fear. You healed it for me. And his son actually said that. Yeah, it was amazing. He said, I don't have any financial fear. You've healed it and you haven't passed it on to me. That's brilliant. And for me, in terms of Dharma, you know, everything that you and I heal in this lifetime, we don't pass on to our children. There will be things that we didn't get round to healing they will pass on to our children and that will be their dharma. So I think all of us are are sort of clearing and cleaning up the ancestral path and that is part of our dharma. We, We almost can't avoid that. You know, Andrew, with this question, you've just answered something I've been wondering for so many years. Like very often I was wondering if I was doing enough to um, fulfill my presence, my coming on this planet, you know, like, why am I Mm -hmm. here? What am I doing? And I think this explanation you just given me has just answered my question. I just love the idea of me being here to heal my ancestral wounds. It's, It's beautiful to see it this way. It gives you that sense of purpose and, and having a real meaning. Yeah, that's kind of a foundation level. And I think I I won't embarrass you by asking you how old you are, but you're not 21 or 22. No, I'm 54. I'm fine. uh, 54. (laughs) Okay. So one of the things that I've had a sense of uh, many years now is I I think a big part of your dharma in this lifetime is to be a teacher. and. if someone had suggested that five years ago, you would have said, well, I'm, I'm not a teacher. That's ridiculous. I'm not, I've got this lack story around education and around intellect. But I think now more and more, I see you stepping into this dharma around teaching, which is essentially carrying this message to other people, to anyone who wants to hear it, which is what we're doing now. Yeah, you know. it's amazing. Amazing. I, I just feel so much excitement, you know, sharing <laughs> this. It's, it's amazing. One more thing. I don't know if you have something else that you remember from this chapter that you would like to comment on. But um, otherwise, I just wanted to touch base on, you know, on this. Uh, when you have an experience in life, you very often, the first thing that comes to your mind is to ask yourself, what's the universe telling me here? What's the message it's given me? How do you ask yourself this question and what do you do to trust the answer? Okay. So just before we get on to that, um, 
that there isn't anything else particular I want to say about karma. But in terms of karma and in terms of all the other laws, the thing to keep coming back to is each one is incredibly simple. Simple, simple, simple. The law of karma is unbelievably simple. You know, a a three-year-old could understand it. But it's also extremely difficult to put into practice. So all of these laws, again, it's like gravity. It's like, you know, Sir Isaac Newton's principles. They're, They're very, very simple, but we need to relearn them. And practicing and getting back to them is not as easy as it looks. But to answer your question, I think if if we go back to the first law, it was the field of potentiality or the law of potentiality, which creates infinite possibility. So when something happens, we tend to label it very quickly, whatever it is. And, and one of the things we do very quickly is we label it good or bad. And again, just spend an afternoon listening to people's language. And they will say, oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's terrible. They, people label it, in, whereas <laughs> at different times in my life, and I, at different times I've, you know, I infuriate my wife, because whenever she says that's good, I said, well, we don't know. It might be good. It might not. You know, it's yeah. like, <laughs> so, so really that language is redundant. Yeah. And then there's other levels of labeling where we judge the experience. And what the first law does, Deepak talks about the wisdom of uncertainty. So the first thing to do when something happens is to enter into curiosity. That's interesting which is exactly what you did in asking me the question. Mm -hmm. You know, that's interesting. This has happened. Somebody's stolen something from me, for example. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's interesting. Instead of immediately putting all sorts of judgments on it, like people shouldn't behave like that, he's not been brought up well, whatever they are, the judgments. So the first thing is to start with curiosity. And when we start with that, we can then ask the question, I wonder what the value in this experience is. I wonder what this experience is teaching me because every experience, it doesn't matter what it is, it doesn't matter whether we label it good, bad, indifferent, helpful, Mm -hmm. unhelpful, every experience has value. So the the greatest gift in life really is to learn from experience. Yeah. And so whatever the experience is, it's about having an open mind, pausing, asking that question, and then being willing to reflect upon possible answers without closing it down too quickly. So one of the things we sometimes do is, oh, I've got it. It's exactly, this is what it is, black and white. And if we get to that place too quickly, we might have missed the point. We might have disallowed other possibilities. Sometimes when we reflect on it, we we get an inkling of something And then if we keep it open, there's an expansiveness to how that evolves. Oh, my God, yes. Oh, you know, and you allow it over a period of hours or days or weeks to evolve into a much bigger teaching. Yeah. I was just going to say how every time we talk about, we have a conversation about a subject, how other conversation just suddenly make more sense. You know, like when we talked about truth. 
it comes back to that sentence I, I, I just stayed with me that you said that there isn't one truth, like everybody think that there is their own truth. And that reminds me exactly of uh, what you just said. It's like a huge, you know, recipe and you have all these ingredients and the, the recipe is what it is because of every single ingredient. And when exactly. you talk and have all these conversations, it's uh, really beautiful how it all makes sense. If you choose to believe that we are all here on one mission, all together, we all decided to be here to help each other, even the person who is supposedly making you suffer the most has the intention of, you know, had the intention at some point to come here and live with you this experience for you to grow spiritually. When we choose to see it this way, it's like magic. It is. It's really magic. And I know it's very difficult to, to reach that understanding and to, to take this choice because even you and I, I'm sure even yourself, some days you don't feel like looking at your worst enemy if you had one and thinking he's here to help me. No, exactly. And, and that's fine. But just in what you were saying, Lara, you, you fell into the trap of saying the person who's making you suffer the most. Yeah, and yeah, we, do, we yeah. do this all the time. And, and that person isn't making you suffer. What they're doing is they're activating the suffering that is in you. Yes. And we do this all the time. It's sometimes it takes a while to work this through, but I can think of a number of situations in my life where something painful or dramatic happened and I felt hatred or very strong emotion for another person. And then months, sometimes years later, you see, oh my God, that person was probably my greatest teacher. Without yeah. that person, I would never have got to this place. So it sometimes takes a little bit time yeah. uh, to get there. But I, I just also want to go back and, and maybe this would be a good place to finish on. But you talked about these laws or principles and how interconnected they are that one affects the other yeah and that's true the beauty of these podcasts that you conceived about is for me what we're talking about here is just seven laws or seven principles so there's not 57 that there's seven and these seven laws all of which are interconnected like the law of giving and receiving is interconnected with karma karma is interconnected with the law of potentiality etc all of them create a map of the universe as to how to evolve so there's a beautiful simplicity about that. And one of the analogies that you and I were just talking about a little earlier, Lara, was the analogy of a jigsaw. Yeah. I often use it because it's one of my favorite analogies. If you imagine a 10,000-piece jigsaw and then a million-piece jigsaw and then a 10-million-piece jigsaw, if you poured out the pieces of a 10-million-piece jigsaw onto a very big table and you'd never seen the picture on the box, you would not know where to start. You wouldn't really, even the edging, most people start a jigsaw with the edging, you would be lost. And that's a great analogy for life. A lot of people in life feel lost. A lot of people feel overwhelmed at the moment. And it's like having all these pieces and not know how they fit together. 
And all human beings, including me, we tend to complicate our life all the time. We complicate it. And what these seven laws or principles or guidelines are doing are some very simple ways in which to put the jigsaw together, to make sense of the jigsaw. Mm -hmm. So each one of these, they all fit together exactly as you described. And when you understand one a little bit deeper, it takes you into understanding another one a little bit deeper. But staying with the analogy of the jigsaw is each piece fits together perfectly. Yeah, And when we begin to start fitting the pieces together, it all makes sense. And you and I, we've often had those moments together where you think, oh my God, you have that sort of wonderful epiphany and you think it's like two bits of the jigsaw fitting together. Yes, yes. And you know the question I asked you before, do we really need to get reminded of something to wake up? It's a little bit when you look, you have all these pieces of jigs on the table and you look at the big picture. And when you look at the big picture of what it should look like or what is going to look like, it's a little bit like being reminded of all of these things that we talk about. I guess exactly that's, uh, right. Yeah, it's beautiful. And the other reason why we, we need a little catalyst is, is human beings like most other species of animals, we are instinctive and we are habitual. So we like to sit in the same chair. We like to wear the same things. We like to go to the same places. So however we're operating, it's going back to the idea of the Pavlovian conditioning. It's like we have a a software system that likes homeostasis. It likes to maintain things as they are. And the way things are as they are is that we are unconscious a lot of the time and we're asleep. You know, we're, we're still in a state of hypnosis. So it's good to be jolted out of that sometimes to actually go to the next level of awakening. That is a subject that I would really love to have with you, a conversation around how we sometimes know we're miserable, but yet we are comfortable in staying in the same situation because <laughs> yeah, yeah, we yeah, are yeah. we are yeah. more scared of the unknown. Yeah. That would be a very important conversation to have. But for now, thank you so much, Andrew. Loved, loved, loved this law. And I look forward to the next time for uh, episode four. And it would be the law of, let me just see, the law of the least effort. Yeah, this is this is where we we give up running around like headless chickens. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and we, we we achieve three times as much by doing half of the effort. It's exactly. wonderful. <laughs> I can't wait. Have a All great right, my day. Lovely. Well, thank God you bless so you. much. Thank Andrew. you so much. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation with Andrew Wallace about the law of karma, of the seven law spiritual law of success of Deepak Chopra. I'm really, really enjoying discussing these laws with Andrew and understanding them better. I find this very enriching and so useful for our everyday life. I really hope you enjoyed it. Please share this episode with whoever you think will benefit from it. And I look forward to speaking with Andrew about the fourth law the law of the least effort. See you soon. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>